Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend Dick Foth back with us on a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we'll jump into our conversation with Joanna um, Koning from CSPN, where we talk about the importance of child safety and mission to organizations. Dick, so excited to have you back with us on the podcast. Thank you. My joy as always. Dick, I got um, two questions, um, two different people sent in. The first question is, um, how do you begin the new year and um, any patterns or habits for your spiritual life? Well, I used to begin the new year on New Year's Eve by staying up till midnight, but I did that for a lot of years. I've been there, done that, and I say, you know, I, I, think, I think I'm going to let you guys stay up and you know, blow the whistles and ring the bells. Um, I think in the new year, I am always trying to get fit in body and soul. It has worked better for soul than it has for body over Mm. the years. Just Mm. saying. Yeah. And, and it has worked better some years than others. Okay. One of the things that I like about the new year, first of all, we are about nine days into longer days, you know, December 21st, shorter day. That's my least favorite day because I like life. And so that's one thing. But I think the thing that I like really reflects from Genesis. Hmm. When you, when you read the Genesis creation account, you have put into place as cycles and rhythms, Hmm. the morning and the evening, the first day and all of that. seasons. I think we as human beings are built for new beginnings. Hmm. I think, you know, we say live one day at a time or we'll say to somebody, well, the sun will come up tomorrow. And it's not just from the Broadway hit Annie. Uh, (laughs) You know, know, I think there's this idea of a fresh start that is critical, whether it's our circadian rhythms Hmm. in our bodies Hmm. or how we see the world when we have a good night's sleep, I think it's a good base for everything. So the days, the weeks, the months, and the, you know, for years they didn't have what we call the Gregorian calendar or whatever. They didn't have that. But I just think it's a significant chance to reboot and refresh. Good word. Good word. Dick, uh, second question, um, different person send this one in. What are you excited about going into 2022? Um, and are there any specific areas you're focusing on um, in life and ministry moving into the new year? I think the big one is, um, is a bit more face-to-face. Hmm. That, that, you know, with, with, with COVID sort of um, easing a little bit, that allows us to um, just connect more. So I think yeah. that's a big piece. Second thing is Ruth and I are thinking, or as they say in Texas, fixing to get ready <laughs> to, uh, to think about a, a, new, um, a new book of some kind. Wow. Um, and it's, it isn't a for sure so yeah. I probably shouldn't be saying this because it's going around the world, but it, but it, you know, uh, but um, Ruth and I back in in the mid nineties wrote a little book on relational leadership called 
uh, when the giant lies down. And then hmm. we wrote another book in 2017 called known That's right. finding friendships in a shallow world. And the folks have pressed us in recent years. And I think this is an age related thing. Yeah. Uh, saying, how about giving us some sort of distilled lessons lived and that yeah. sort of thing. So whatever we do with this would focus on distilled lessons of life hmm. illustrated by brief so stories. So short hmm. chapters, and uh, our working title would be something like uh, Backstory. Hmm. Uh, I would write, Ruth would edit, and maybe segue from chapter to chapter with free yeah. verse. He's very good at that. And then, uh, so that's one thing. Another thing is that we do a podcast. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, not, it, it's not as stunning as clarity. You know, it's a little foggy, you know. You call no, it's, it's, actually, it's actually phenomenal. And I listen to it and love it. Your voice, your your voice, I tell you what, on, on a day that um, I need some calm and peace in my life, um, I listen to your podcast and I mean that. And uh, it's it's You're good stuff. Kind. Thank you. Well, it's it's uh, it's currently called um, Known, yeah. uh, Stories to Make Sense of It All. It'll still be called that, but we're going to, we have started doing it every week. Yeah. And we we're we're creating podcasts every two weeks, but then dropping messages spoken yeah. in those in between weeks. Very also, cool. I think we're going to refresh and rebrand rebrand the website we have, which is yeah. called known.fm, yeah. to something. And I don't know exactly when, but this will be in the new year called Foth and Friends. Hmm. My friend keeps saying, "Foth, you're the brand." I say, "I'm not a brand. I'm an old dude." You know. So. So, uh, and then, and then I'm looking forward to as, as long as you'll have me continuing to yeah. do this kind of stuff on clarity. That's awesome. And most yeah. of all, looking forward to 2022 is continued and growing engagement with grandchildren. We have yeah. 12 grandkids, two are married, five are in college. And, um, I get, I was just with Chloe, who's looking at colleges in California last hmm. week and. This weekend in Portland, I get to see my grandson, Sam, who's 22. Wow. And he's take, I'm taking him to lunch, and he's taking me to the airport. Wow. So there you go. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. It sounds like you have an exciting 2022. And um, I want to be one of the first people to, to, to buy the book. So when you and uh -huh. you know, that's one thing I've really enjoyed. Um, I've obviously read your book um, and then listening to the, the, the podcast, but the the you writing and then Ruth, um, you know, and, and known it's a, it's a, it's a valuable and rich combination. Um, and, uh, one that I think is very unique. Um, one that I don't think I've ever, I read not as much as you or not as much as other people, but I read a good bit and I, sure. it's a very unique take and, um, yeah, it's very, very valuable. And, well, thank uh, you. I have people come up to me and say, both, you know, I really like your writing, but Ruth is really yeah. the best. She's and she's a great communicator. She's a great communicator. Yeah. <laughs> well, can say four lines, but it takes me fourteen pages. Oh man, she's she she has for sure for sure. She's uh she's got a gift. Well, Dick, we're gonna we appreciate you being with us again today. Um, we're gonna go ahead and jump in to the interview with Joanna um, Koning um, from CSPN and talk about one thing that I'm excited about in 2022 is how we can um, be more intentional about keeping missionary kids or TCKs safe um, from harm as their parents live and serve overseas. Um, that's one thing that. At times, uh, missionary kids are more um, exposed, and there's a, an opportunity there. And Joanna gives us some great insight on how we can grow and keeping um, TCK safe. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. 
Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have um, a friend of mine that I got to spend some time together with in Orlando, Florida, and learn from um, when we were living in Madagascar, Joanna Koning. Joanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and share with you today. For sure. Could you take, go ahead and take a few minutes and just um, share about yourself? And um, yeah, before we jump into some of the questions. Sure. My, uh, my background is in missions. My parents were missionaries. They were actually church planters. They would say they're church planters. And they church planted in the U.S. and then moved to Australia when I was a little girl. And I lived there in Perth, Western Australia, while they did church planting until I was ready to go to college. And I met my husband, Otto, at college, Otto Cooney, and his family, he were missionaries and we call them real missionaries because they they were in a headhunting tribe in Papua New Guinea, wow. the first people to go into that area. And uh, if you've ever read Peace Child, that's that mm. was actually the exact context my husband grew up in. So wow. um, he, we met at college and we married and um, over the next we didn't neither one had lived in the U.S., that much. So it took us a few years. We established a home church and spent a lot of time serving there. And uh, Otto did internships. I worked there. But I also got two master's degrees in education. So I have a master's degree in curriculum and instruction. And I have one as a reading specialist or special ed diagnostician. And then I'm uh, a language arts teacher. And so that was, took a few years. We had two sons, um, Micah and Joseph. They're now 29 and 26. Um, and mm-hmm. we eventually moved to Japan, where we lived for four and a half years and worked in a church plant there. And then after a year and a half of the States, we moved to Kazakhstan, wow. where we've been since, the, since 2001. And uh, we still work and live there. And yeah. so doing church planning, pastoral, my husband works with pastor, pastors and training. And I was the principal of the international school there for 13 years. Okay. Uh, it's an MK, TCK school. Um, and then in 2013, our youngest son graduated from high school. We did a, a year and a half sabbatical. And during that time, I, I was asked to be the child safety officer, international child safety officer for Pioneers, our mission organization. And I accepted that role in 2014. So I've been in the last uh, seven years, almost eight years, working as the international child safety officer for Pioneers. So I, I think that kind of brings you up to date. For sure, for sure. I could ask I you. I could ask you a ton of questions about a lot of things, but I, mm-hmm. we'll, 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 I'll stay focused. Um, I'll stay focused right. today. Um, child safety officer. Maybe for somebody that's listening in, that might be a new term for them. Could you share what a child safety officer is mm-hmm. and what that means for your organization and how you serve workers? Mm-hmm. And then we'll jump into CSPM. Sure. Um, you know. In, in mission organizations and in international Christian schools and nonprofit or missional organizations that work internationally, there is a pretty significant lack of safety net for children 
um, because of your living in a foreign country and laws are don't always work really well for the country where you're a citizen, let alone if you're not a citizen and you're living there, then where missionaries and nonprofit organizations, international schools tend to flourish, usually are places where children are not, where there isn't a strong safety net for children as well. I mean, it's part of the reason, you know, people are taking the gospel or medical or whatever kind of mission that they have. Um, and that tends to be where schools start as well. So in those environments, you tend to need someone who's managing a child safety program within your organization. Um, and that program generally focuses on training, it focuses on screening, and it focuses on response when a child may be harmed or someone is concerned about a child. And so <clears throat> different organizations, have different titles, uh, child safeguarding lead or child safety director, or there's a lot of different titles. In Pioneers, it was called a child safety officer. And um, so my role is to oversee screening, training, and a response for all of our members worldwide, all six continents. My mom, um, before she died last year, used to tell people that I was in charge of all the children in the world, which was <laughs> a little bit, uh, way more than I would like to be in charge of. But, um, yeah, all the children and pioneers in the world. And and then any children that our members interact with or are, are um, working with or living around, if they would be harmed and there would be concern about uh, the person causing the harm being a pioneer's person, then we would respond to that as well. For sure. For, thank you so much for that. That's a great, mm -hmm. great explanation. Um, today, we're just going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, why child safety is important for missions, organizations and sending organizations. What are, you know, obviously, I've, I've learned so much from you and your passion um, for specifically for this area. And what are some reasons, yeah, that safety, child safety is important for missions organizations? Well, it, it was a significant gap in, in the duty of care that mission organizations for many years um, had. And, and even into the, you know, the last, in like the 60s and 70s, we were still just beginning to learn um, the risks and the danger of children being harmed when they're working, when their parents are working cross-culturally. Um, and and there were so many historical cases that came up where we realized, wow, we really dropped the ball. Um, horrific, horrific um, situations where children were abused over many years, uh, systematically abused by members of mission organizations. I think everybody's probably familiar with the with some of the scandals, the Catholic church abuse scandals, but actually in Protestant circles and in mission circles, international schools, there were just as many and, and many horrible, tragic situations. The difference was in the Catholic church, there was a lot higher level organization spread out all over the world. And mm -hmm. the evangelical, you know, mission organizations tend to be pretty fractured and and so there wasn't the level of organization. So in realizing that, mission organizations started looking for, you know, what is, why is this happening? And I think you can kind of distill it down to 
four or five things. Um, one is that mission work for children is high risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can do a little formula. High risk equals isolation mm-hmm. plus low accountability. Okay. So when you send a family to live somewhere where they're isolated, and that's every missionary that ever was, because even <laughs> if they're in an urban environment, they're different than everyone around them, right? Yeah. So, so that, that starts. But we often send people to the, you know, my husband grew up in a jungle tribe where he and his family were the only white people, and, and there was nobody. Literally, they had no one that was around them day in and right. day out, right? So, and so there's this isolation plus low accountability and you have high risk. And we, another level of risk is that we have high trust, low accountability relationships. We assume probably wrongly that when every person that applies to go and work, volunteer in a Christian international school or work cross-culturally in missions at some level, that those people are all above reproach and, and worthy of 100% trust. Mm-hmm. And then we put them in these situations where there's very little accountability. Um, mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can tell you stories of, you know, missionaries showing up and them saying, okay, here's the orphanage, have a wonderful life. And that's <laughs> it, right? They, yeah. And and teachers in schools, you know, people show up. My parents arrived in a, in a strange country, strange city. I mean, not that Australia is strange, but just unfamiliar to them. And they had to find their way, right? So, and they did that without any supervision or help. So we have this really high trust, low accountability environment that we relate in. And when something happens, the first response of um, leadership, field leaders, other missionaries will be, oh, no, they couldn't do that. They're wonderful people. And Hmm. look at all the good work they're doing. Right. Mm. Look at all the fruit. Mm. And so it is as if that negates any possibility that their children might be harmed. Right. So um, that's another risk factor. Then we also have desperate need. And when you have desperate need, what happens is people tend to swing to what I call warm body syndrome. Yeah. You know, if there's if there's somebody willing and we have a desperate need, by golly, we put them in that hmm. position without asking any questions, without screening. Hmm. Um, often that means that we're, we're taking people and putting them in very high stress situations. Um, there's a, quite a bit of research, you know, people who live cross-culturally live under three to five times the normal stress hmm. of someone who lives in their their own country. So these don't necessarily have to be bad people, right. um, but but they're, they're, we're putting them in a situation they're completely unprepared for, and then they have easy access to children. And so anyone who has a, a particular bent to harming children has free access with no accountability. Um, desperate need also creates this problem of guilt and shame and we spiritualize it. Well, if God called them, they must need to be there. They're supposed to be there. And who are, who are we? I've had some leaders say this to me just in the last few months. Who am I to say God can't use those people in that location? That mm. God called them there, then they should be there, right? So mm. there's this layer of spiritualized 
justification. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of passivity and an and unwillingness to wade into the fray. Um, mm-hmm. for, and we don't maybe see it, but it's actually abandoning children, right? So wow. instead of stepping up and saying, no, look, you know, you guys, you shouldn't be there until your family is able to handle that kind of situation. You need help. You need to get mm-hmm. out. We don't want to wade into that sort of conflict ridden. And I think a lot of people do have deep convictions and, and um, none, all of us who serve internationally are very aware that we're not perfect. So right. you add on your normal parenting self-doubt to all that. And what you end up with is this, um, a desperate situation where children are at risk. Wow. So mission organizations, international schools where they have um, expat teachers come, often volunteering, submission, you know, mission work, doctors, there's all kinds of missional work. All of those situations are high risk for wow. child abuse and child harm. Hmm. And um, there's one other risk that I think is important. It's, um, it's one that sort of people look at you and are like, they're not sure to believe you or not, but please believe me. Um, there are, we know, because we have many, many cases, um, not, I'm not talking about just pioneers, but this is across the board. Predators who want easy access to children know that mission organizations and international schools are often um, low-hanging fruit. We don't wow. do we don't do good screening. Hmm. We tend to trust everyone, hmm. and so if you want to to harm children, you want to sexually abuse children, you want to traffic children, you want to um, to just have ongoing opportunities to to sexually gratify yourself with children, join a mission, you know, yeah. join a mission, join it, go teach at a Christian school, go work in an orphanage. Hmm. And so um, it's not hard to fool. I was told once by a law enforcement officer, it's not hard to fool missions, right? Hmm. Just say the right things in the right time and you can get it. So, wow. um, and you can just do a Google search on the news. You'll find, you know, there's, there are cases every year of people who went to work in an orphanage or uh, all kinds of people, doctors, peacekeepers, teachers who go to work in a place to harm children. And until 2003, there were no legal, um, there was no legal safety net for that. And still isn't, there still isn't in a lot of countries, but Hmm. depending on where you're from now, many Western countries have laws that if you travel to another country, with the intention of hurting a child, that's, they can prosecute you for that. Wow. It's almost, it, it's a really difficult case to prove. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Uh, the, the most glaring, tragic cases are the ones we hear about that are being prosecuted. But for every one of those, there's 10, 15, 20, 100 wow. of them that we don't even know about. So, wow. so if we're not doing good screening, yeah. you're going to be in that situation. And, um, when you talk about good screening, uh, two, two thoughts. One, you mentioned child abuse and child harm. If maybe we mm-hmm. can, so I don't lose the thought about screening, but child yeah. abuse and child harm, how do you differentiate between those two? And then I've got a question for you about screening. Sure. Well, you can't have, a child can't be abused if they aren't harmed. So any child that has been abused has been harmed. Okay. But you can have children who are harmed 
where the harm doesn't rise to the level of abuse. Okay. You cannot prevent abuse if you don't reduce the risk of harm. Okay. And so the way that you, in any, any organization, in any setting, the way that we address and prevent child abuse is we lower the risk of harm. Mm-hmm. And that's not hard to do, to lower the risk of harm. We simply increase accountability, increase visibility, decrease isolation. Uh, you do good screening. And yeah. so you, with that, that makes the task um, actually manageable and actually something that is in, within reach of every organization. There mm-hmm. aren't any organizations that are too small or have too little money to do a good job at this. So yeah. that's the good news. That's the really yeah. good news. Yeah. And so screening, you talked about good screening. What what are some um, like best practices that maybe you would recommend to people? There's lots of different um, missions organizations that listen into the podcast. Maybe what some best practices you think that, you know, should be common amongst as we do look right. for good screening practices? Well, I think you've got to have a multi-pronged approach. You can't just say we did a background check and that does it. Even in the United States of America, and other Western countries with pretty um, intact law enforcement, responsive law enforcement, you only catch 30% of convicted child abusers with the background Hmm. check. Hmm. Because when they have to be on the database, the person doing the search and the organization doing the background check has to do the right kind of search. Laws change and people drop on and off. In some countries, in some states, hmm. you know, after five years, you drop off. So hmm. is it okay with us if the guy raped children five years ago, but he's, he hasn't been caught in hmm. the last five years? You know, so hmm. your background check is just one of those tools. Okay. And the second tool, the second, you have to have several layers, the, is your application process. Hmm. You want to start with the very first contact with your mission in the application process there have to be child safety questions. Hmm. And they're they're both direct and indirect. Have you ever been convicted or charged uh, with a harming a child? Hmm. And then, then an indirect question, has anyone ever said to you that they're uncomfortable with you around their children, um, hmm. being around their children? So you have this direct and indirect in, you can have it Verbally, it depends, mission organizations and schools have different recruiting process, but in that very initial stage, you ask the questions and you do it because that's, that indicates to the applicant that we're serious about this. Hmm. And if you are a person who is trying to join our organization to have easy access to kids, you're not going to have it here. Hmm. And so then our goal is, is that those people self-select out of the process. Good. And they look somewhere else. We want them, not that we want them to get access anywhere, but right. we sure don't want them to get access in our organization. For sure. So then at every stage of that application process, you have to have child safety um, questions that are more penetrating and more direct. So in, in Pioneers, we have in different, we have different sending bases, but in that initial interaction, in the written application, the reference that answer that get forms and surveys are all asked the same, several different questions, direct and indirect. Then there's an interview done after your psychological testing where you're asked more in-depth questions about your personal history. There's some of it covered in there. And, and then 
So by then, the person knows, okay, wow, yeah. um, this organization is serious. Then, we, then you also do psychological assessment. So if someone isn't stable mm-hmm. emotionally, psychologically, and you're putting them in a situation where they're going to be under three to five times the normal stress. That's good. Uh, yeah. We have to expect that that's not going to go well if they've got some issues that haven't yeah. been resolved. So you would you address that. You also need to be careful about screening kids. Hmm. Um, do kids have special needs? You know, we've had families. I think every mission has. I grew up. I when I was growing up, this happened. You know, they get to the field and they've got a kid who needs intensive speech therapy or who has a cognitive disability or who has mental health or emotional problems. And in that, they're in some isolated place where there's no help. Hmm. So what's going to happen to that child and to that family over time when they have, they're in a high stress situation where the parents are functioning at high levels of stress. And then they have this child with exceptional needs Hmm. that, they can't, they can't hope to fill. They yeah. can't get any help to fill. Those kind of situations are set up for a train wreck and a disaster. And the victims are always the kids. So, wow. but not just the kids, parents too find themselves in horrible situations. Wow. And so, but that's a duty of care issue for the mission. We need to be asking um, how, you know, about the kids' mental, emotional, physical, and cognitive health. And so that we know we're not sending people with developmental, children with developmental or cognitive, emotional needs to a location where they can't get the help and support that the family needs. So that's kind of a big picture of you of screening. And it's complicated, really complicated. So. Um, so you, Joanna, you have led change um, within your organization. And, and like I said, if I've learned and from you, how, what are some lessons you've learned specifically? I've heard you, I'm, I think when we were together, you talked, you know, this is a kind of an awkward conversation that sometimes I think in the church, we don't want to talk about. And so if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. Um, that's but right. that's not true, um, obviously. And so you, you've you led change and um, I'm envious of the change you've led within your organization. So what are some lessons you've learned and you can help others like me that are, they're trying to lead that change um, in the organization that they serve in? You know, it's, change is never easy. Where it's an interesting thing that the only constant thing you can expect in the world is change, and yet we have a tendency to resist it because um, we we feel safest when we feel in control. And and child talking about the abuse of children, talking about missional failures where we sent someone to do good and they did catastrophic evil. These are not happy conversations to have. And, sure. and it's easy to slide into a, a us versus them or shame and blame and, and or to just trigger, people get triggered. If you have a room with 15, 20 people in it, half of them have been abused. And mm. so, so you're also working against people's own emotional health and and they're being triggered. And so it's hard, it's a hard conversation to have. In our, in Pioneers, I'm so thankful. Um, when I was asked to be the international child safety officer, the international leadership, so these are people from like 13 countries 
who are our leaders and from everywhere from Africa, South America, US, you know, the Northern Hemisphere, Europe, Australia, um, New Zealand, Singapore, places in Asia. So they're, these are leaders coming together. They have different definitions of what is child abuse. They have different definitions of what's acceptable discipline. They have different definitions of what is sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And they, they hammered out for a long months our policy. And I was given the policy. I didn't actually have to construct the policy. They can make a commitment to the child safe, child safety, child protection. And then I was the person that was recruited to make it happen. Um, so looking around and, and now as a member of CSP and I've talked to lots of other uh, child safeguarding leads or directors or officers. And one of the things that I see is, is that you've got to have this balance of top down, your top level leadership has got to buy in and be committed. And then you have to have the bottom up, which usually starts with training and education uh, awareness. And somewhere in the middle, they meet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and along the way, you're going to have roadblocks and bumps in the road. You know, uh, we, you know, I had to have come up with, a, the thing that I did have to come up with is code of conduct. And Pioneers is famous for letting pioneers be pioneers. And <laughs> we, have, we have two policies in our whole international handbook, only two. And one of them is the child safeguarding policy. But um, telling people there's something they have to do yeah. is not something we do in pioneers. And yet the upper level leadership said, we're going to, we have to do this. Hmm. So then I'm the person that's coming along to saying, this is, you know, this is the training, but you have to have a standard of conduct if you're going to measure response, right? For so sure. having a standard of conduct was hard work, coming up mm. with a code of conduct that we could all agree on, that we could use as a standard, mm. you know, the way that you, that I, it had to be written. And we, there was arguments over commas and arguments over words. And I think we've, we, we still update it periodically, but it's hard work in an international yeah. organization. But as you do that, you and you work on your training and awareness and education, we do annual training from between January and March of every year. Every member of PI is does a, a training that we put together. And eventually you have shared vocabulary. You have shared understanding. You have shared expectations. And then you, you reach this equilibrium, right? So, but I think maybe the job of the child safeguarding person lead or the team is to keep pushing those two things, the commitment of upper level leadership and the understanding and commitment of the grassroots level into that harmonious uh, equilibrium in the middle. And that's where kids are the safest. That's where there's a good safety net across your organization. It's good, good word. You mentioned CSPN and um, mm -hmm. your work with CSPN. Could you just share what about CSPN and um, also mm -hmm. in how it works with missions organizations? Right. So the Child Safety and Protection Network, which is the acronym CSPN, uh, some people remember it by it's not ESPN, it's CSPN. There you go. Uh, the Child Safety and Protection Network is a a group of mission organizations and international schools. Um, CSPN collaborates with international Christian organizations 
to connect, educate, and protect. And our, our vision is to help create environments within the missional community where children's well-being and safety are a priority. Um, and occasionally a mission leader will be like, whoa, our priority is you know, church planning or medical missions or, yes, but if you're gonna send families to do that, children have to be in that top priority category. And the people you're sending are all gonna be living and working around children. So um, we are, the scripture is very clear that we're mandated by Jesus himself to ensure that we're not creating stumbling blocks to children and their relationship with him. And so, we have to make it a priority. Um, we, Child Safety and Protection Network has a strong value for creating access to strategic development and sound international research on child safeguarding. How do you do an effective international child safeguarding program? What does that look like? Hmm. Um, and so we have, a, we have this whole group of people who are focused on this, who are working collaboratively to make sure that we all have access to that kind of information hmm. and that can help us to, as we work together to make stronger safety nets in every mission and organization. Um, we're Christ-centered, and mm -hmm. I think that gives us the mandate. It also gives us the mandate, the motivation. I think, because I've been doing this job for quite a while now, that it also gives me the resources I need. I talk to people who are in the secular world, social workers and other kinds of law enforcement people, and the burnout rate is just astronomical because when you listen to the heartbreaking stories, um, it, it, can, it, it deeply impacts you. And if you don't have Jesus, I don't know how you lay down and go to sleep at night, right? Yeah. So um, having, having Christ as the center makes a huge difference in how we respond. We respond to the needs of children and the needs of those who cause harm with compassion. Hmm. Um, and, and that's different than yeah. any other kind of organization. So CSPN has that Christ center. We are internationally focused. If you live in a particular country, you know, if you live in the UK, there's three or four different organizations that help churches and NGOs or whatever develop child safeguarding programs. It's the same in Canada, the US, Australia, New Zealand. There are programs that do that, but we, our special niche is international. Hmm. You've got an international ministry or work that's got people go moving from one one country to another country. And sometimes, you know, like in Pioneers, we're internationally diverse. So yeah. we have, you know, multiple sending bases, over 10 sending bases and offices and partners. So you can have a team with people from three or four countries sent from three or four different sending bases, right? That's, that's really a different kind of program than if you're all coming from one country, very homogeneous. So yeah, for sure. uh, CSPN is internationally focused. And I think collaboration is our strength. Uh, mm. we're, we're a group of people who network and collaborate to share knowledge, experience, and resources. Um, you know, there's a, you, you have to pay a membership fee to join. And that $500, it sounds like a lot of money, especially if you're a smaller organization. But what you get for that $500 is hundreds of people hmm. who will help you hmm. in the middle of a situation. And I don't think a week goes by that I don't reach out to someone in another organization 
or they don't reach out to me and us brainstorm and work together and share resources so that we can work together to make the safety of children a high priority. And so that's kind of CSP in a nutshell. We have trainings. The program essentials training is the one that you took um, in Orlando yes. that I was teaching and that, that teaches the elements of a, a, an effective child safety program and how to begin the process of creating and developing a program. We have the response team training, which is a program that teaches how to respond to concerns about child safety or uh, incidents where children have been harmed or abused in a way that is effective and um, maintains privacy, confidentiality, protects the children, also works to lower organizational risk and keep the, you know, there's a lot of legal obligations involved in this as well. So, so that, those are two training programs that we have. We have an annual conference. We'll come up in March. It's going to, we're going to be back face-to-face this year, which is wonderful, but um, there'll be an online option as well. And, uh, and then we have workshops, sometimes regional conferences as well. I think you you shared that the um, the conference is coming up this year. The subject is is shalom. Could you share mm-hmm. well, the importance of shalom when it comes to and the focus? Um, why some reasons maybe you've chose that for this year? Right. Every year we choose a different focus, a uh, different topic, and this is a one of the issues that happens um, when you have a, a child safeguarding concern come up is you have conflict. And people are not just the children are harmed, but families and teams and organizations all are in the midst of of crisis. And having a Christ-centered view isn't just words. It's we're mandated to be be known by our love and to be uh, peacemakers, peacekeepers. And so this concept of shalom in the context of child safeguarding is really important. It's one of the things that makes um, an effective program. It brings long lasting peace and grace and change in the lives of people who have been hurt and harmed. Um, It also can bring about justice and mercy and repentance. Um, those are not actually our job. We're not actually responsible to make justice happen. That's God's job, but right. we can facilitate and be part of that process. Certainly, what does it look like to be compassionate to someone who's sexually abused children? Um, hmm. How do you bring reconciliation? How do you foster the an environment where you're making children a priority, but you're also loving and caring for this brother or sister who has fallen into sin. Yeah. And so, so this conference is going to focus a lot on that. There'll be other tracks, tracks for Christian schools and uh, program element tracks. And, but a lot of the workshops and the plenary speakers are going to be talking about this concept of shalom, how to bring peace and create reconciliation in these these difficult situations for sure. And I'll put, um, I'll put the links to that. Um, sure. if anybody listening, they want to register or be involved. I can put that so that um, they can have access to that. One last question for you before we sure. uh, move into prayer. 
if somebody's listening in today and this conversation has really piqued their desire to see their missions mm-hmm. organization grow, what are, what's maybe a first step or a second step or what, what can they, so it takes it from just, I'm desired to do this, but what can they do to move it forward? I think you have to start with educating yourself and, and becoming aware of the need and the problem. Um, there are no mission organizations. There are no international schools. There are no NG, missional NGOs that don't have this problem. This is a problem. And it, it's not just about sexual abuse. It's not just about, um, you know, the tragic, really big stories. We're talking about children who grow up and have, who were harmed in ways that it affects them for the rest of their lives and affects their relationship with God and with other people, their ability to function. And so you know those stories. If, if you will look around and you will talk to your people, you know that they're there. And then educate yourself about what an effective child safety program is. Um, for me, the first thing I did when I got this job, I knew not, I mean, I, I was a school principal at an international school, so I knew a lot about bad situations, but how do you fix it? I didn't know that much. And so the first thing I did was go to a CSPN conference. And then at that conference, I met a lot of people and I bombarded their inboxes and I had calls. <laughs> Back then we did Skype calls, you know, and, and I went to trainings um, and, and I, our mission, I got them to approve joining CSPN. And so I think those first few years were about me understanding how do we do this and beginning with the, you know, start somewhere. I started with training. I immediately put together training for all of our people. And because if you don't have a shared understanding of the problem, it's really hard to work on it. So you begin wherever you are and you take the next step. And I think CSPN is an incredible resource. Um, and, and there's a lot of opportunity there for you to learn. You know, I, I wouldn't, we wouldn't, pioneers wouldn't be where we are today without it because hmm. I literally talked to other organizations that were similar to ours and spent hours with their leadership hmm. asking questions. And, and I would read, they would share documents with me and I would read their documents. And then I would think about our organization and our structure and our political and cultural kind of setting. And then I would try to apply stuff. And then I would call them back and say, what about this? And, yeah. and over, you know, several years, I was able to put together a program that could work, but yeah. you don't go from zero to 60 yeah. in three seconds in this role. You, you start where you're at and you take the next step. And so, um, and good usually word. that involves reaching out and talking to somebody. So, yeah, good word. Will you pray for us? Um, this is yes. uh, a, sub, this is a, an area that is, um, yeah, that I'm passionate about and an area that I'm growing in. And we just pray that God will give us wisdom and guidance, as you say, is our responsibility for the children and our duty of care. And um, yeah, would you just pray for us today? Sure. Father, I am so grateful for this opportunity to talk about something that is dear to your heart. Um, you, you created and designed us and you said that children are a gift from God. Um, you, as during your time on earth, you said we need to 
make sure that we're not causing any stumbling blocks, that we are letting children have access to, to Jesus. And we know that all kinds of harm and abuse can create those stumbling blocks. So we ask you to give us the wisdom and the direction and the resource, the courage, because this is a field where Satan dominates. He knows if he can destroy a child early, he has had a victory for life. So when you go into this arena, we are facing, we're on the battlefield. And so I ask for the courage of conviction uh, as well for us to face the need for child protection and child safety. Help us children's well-being and safety a priority within our missions, our school, our organizations. We ask in your name, trusting in you for all that it takes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.